the message that I had prepared, uh, that the, the topic that I prepared earlier uh, is this, make it happen, how? Last week, Pastor Daniel shared with us, make it happen, why? All right. Uh, today is make it happen, how? And um, that's the, 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 the topic. Now, I don't know if you, you know, as children, there's a game I, we, I used to love as a child, all right? Uh, I still remember. Um, okay, hang on now. Uh, I'm having a bit of problem with this. Okay, this is not working anymore. Okay, okay, it's working now. Okay, this is what happens when you're live. Huh? Okay, the next screen. So this is something, this is a game that we used to play when we were children. I, I'm sure you, many of you played this game. You know, uh, whenever the weekends or public holidays, whatever, my sisters and I would play this. Sometimes when my cousins come over, we would all play this. Somebody, and usually it's my younger sister because she's the younger, she gets bullied. She will be the one uh, to go and close her eyes and count one to a hundred. And we will all go and hide. It's hide and seek. And, um, and when she's ready, uh, she would say, and we could hear her because, you know, we would be hiding pretty nearby. Normally she would go far, far away to look for us. So we would hide pretty nearby so that she would miss us. And we could hear, we could always hear her towards the end. 97, 98, 99, 100, ready or not, here I come. And then she would go and look for you. And if ever I was caught and asked to be the next one to close my eyes and count, um, being the crook I am, I, I never count to 100. I would start off 1, 2, 3, 4 until 20-something, 30-something, and I know everybody has already gone far away. Then I will jump to 70-something and 80-something. And then I and then I would say, ready or not, here I come. And sometimes they are not ready. And I go and I find them pretty easily. But that's a game we used to play. Now this morning, the topic, the, the, the story that I would like to read to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, has, in a, in a, in a strange sense, in a funny sense, um, that, that phrase, ready or not, here I come, can be applied to this. It's the parable of the ten bridesmaids or ten virgins all right so if you if you have your bibles or it's there on your screen i'm just going to read for you matthew's gospel chapter 25 at that time the kingdom of heaven would be like ten bridesmaids who took their lambs and went to wait for the bridegroom five of them were foolish five of them wives the five foolish bridesmaids took their lambs but they did not take more oil for the lambs to burn the wise bridesmaids took their lambs and more oil in jars because the bridegroom was late they became sleepy and went to sleep at midnight someone cried out the bridegroom is coming come and meet him then all the bridesmaids woke up and got their lambs ready but the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil because our lambs are going out. And the wise bridesmaids answered, No, the oil we have might not be enough for all of us. So go to the people who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So while the five foolish bridesmaids went to buy oil, the bridegroom came and the bridesmaids who were ready went in with the bridegroom to the wedding feast. Then the door was closed and locked. Later, the ones, the others came back and said, Sir, sir, open the door to let us in. But the bridegroom answered, I tell you the truth, I don't want to know you. 
So always be ready because you don't know the day or the hour the Son of Man will come. Now, it, it seems like an interesting story, but that last verse gives us a sense of foreboding. It, it's almost like, ooh. You know, you get that sense at the end of a story like that. But so, basically, there are four movements to this, uh, this morning's sermon, all right? And I want to just do the first one first. And the first one is about the tale, the setting. <coughs> okay, the setting of this story. Okay, listen, the day before, Jesus was walking with his disciples and they saw this barren fig tree, if you remember that. And Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was barren. And then what happened was he goes down into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple courts and he finds people in the temple courts. They were selling and they were, they were selling stuff and they made the temple courts like a marketplace. And so Jesus drives out the money changers, overturns their tables and all the traders in the temples and he chased them out of the temple saying uh, that my temple should be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. So he, he chases them out. And then what happens is Jesus goes out of the city and he weeps over the city. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who stone your prophets and kill God's representatives. How I wish I could gather you as children, as a chicken would, a hen would gather her chicks under her wing. And Jesus began to weep over Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, Jerusalem had rejected God. They had an outward garb of religiosity, but they did not have any relationship with God. And so then what happens is Jesus goes out of Jerusalem. He goes back. They pass by the withered fig tree. All right. They pass by the withered fig tree. The disciples point out the fig tree to Jesus and said, look, the tree that was withered from the roots, it's dead. And Jesus, that's what he did. He just kept quiet and he just continued walking and they followed him. They went across the Kidron Valley. They go up to the Mount of Olives and there Jesus does his Olivet Discourse. All right? Because up there as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples were with him. They were all probably seated in the grass in front of him. And they asked him, so tell us, tell us, Lord, what would the signs be in the last days? And then Jesus goes on. If you read the chapter before, Jesus goes on and he shares with them. He tells them, he prophesies all the, the signs of, his, of the last days of, of earth before he returns. And in that context, you know, the original Bible does not divide uh, in chapters and verses. It's all just one passage. And so if you look at it that way, this story now, the story of the ten bridesmaids, are part of that discourse. It means it, it, it is talking about the, the last days. What would happen in the last days? Now, some of the signs are amazing, of course. The, the, the fig tree that was withered, it wasn't because Jesus was angry that there were no figs and he was hungry. It wasn't that. Because up there on the Mount of Olives, as part of his, um, uh, of his discourse on the last days, 
He told his disciples, remember the parable of the fig tree. So what happened in the fig tree was actually a story that the Lord played out, an example, an illustration about what would happen in the last days. That the fig tree would, be, would, 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 would die and wither from the roots. And the fig tree always represented the nation of Israel. And it was true. In AD 70, the fig tree died. Israel was overrun. Israel was plundered. Israel was burnt to the ground. And there was no more Israel for about 1,500 years. It was like the fig tree had withered from the roots. All right? And then the Lord said, the day you see the fig tree put out its leaves, that means it life would come back to this withered fig tree, know that you are in the last generation. 1947, Israel became a nation again. After not even being on any geographical world map for 1,500 years, the fig tree had begun to sprout leaves and began to have life again. So when you look at these signs, the Lord said, know that the time is very, very near. We, church, we are living in the last days. Look around us. The world is in a crazy state today. Yeah? Um, uh, what is the COVID-19 pandemic if, you know, the, the Bible tells us in the last days, the, the world would have strange diseases. All right? And, and that is happening today. That is happening. Earthquakes in various places. I was just doing a research this morning, and 2020, the world was focusing on COVID, but we have had more earthquakes in 2020 than any time else in history. It is, it is amazing, as you know. All these things were prophesied in the Bible. So then we come to this story. What is the Lord trying to say? Now, the second uh, movement is this, the teams. We talked about the background, all right? We talked about the tail. Now we want to look at the teams, okay? And basically, this is it. The bridesmaid meet. This is what happens. They, 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 they are this team of bridesmaids. And this is the Jewish um, culture, all right? What happens in the, in the wedding? The bridesmaid, that means the, they belong to the bride's side. They would go out and they would meet the groom. And then they would accompany the groom to the wedding banquet. All right. So um, Jesus describes this group of people and divides them into two groups: the wise bridesmaids and the foolish bridesmaids. All right. And among these two groups, there were similarities and there were some stark differences. I want to very quickly look at some similarities. They were all dressed the same. They all carried their own lamps. Now, so that means to say, from the outside, when you look at them. You don't know who are foolish and who is wise. Because they all look the same. They all dressed up the same. They all had their lambs. All right? They carried their lambs. They carried their lambs and they came. And so they are there. All right? Um, they all look the same. And they all waited for the bridegroom. All of them waited. All of them uh, fell asleep because, you know, it was late. And so they fell asleep. And at midnight, they all heard the midnight cry. He's coming, he's coming. And so they, they all wake up and they all trimmed their lambs. Now, um, their lambs would be not like this, but something like this. Uh, what do you mean by trim their lambs? Inside all of these, there is a wick. Okay, many of these lambs, there's a wick. This is a wick. 
this is a wick. And so they had to trim the wicks because um, whatever burnt earlier would be hard, okay? And hard and it'll be scarred and they'll, they'll leave a scab. And so if you don't trim those wicks, it can't burn anymore. And so they had to trim their wicks. Now, why did I talk about the wicks? It's because, listen, some of us are like that. We have had things in the past that happened to us when we were uh, excited and we were serving the Lord. And, and those things um, have burnt us up sometimes, leaving us with scars and scabs. And, uh, and we, 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 we are trying our best now to serve God and do stuff, but we find it difficult to do because no fire would catch on a wick that's scarred and has those burnt up scabs. You've got to trim it. You've got to remove those things that cause you pain. Remove the things that burnt you. Remove the things that would stop or prevent the fire from lighting. You've got to cut all those things off and, and get rid of those stuff. And then you'll be able to burn. Alright? So they trim their lambs. And then I want to look at the differences. Those are the similarities. What are the differences? The wise, the wise virgins they had oil. The foolish virgins did not. They had oil because a lamp won't have sustained, won't be able to sustain burning if it has no oil. It must have oil for the wick to continue burning. If it has no oil, the wick will just burn off. All right? The foolish did not. The wise had fire. The foolish, the fire didn't last. So after a while, the foolish came to the wise and said, give us some of your oil because our lamps will not last. They realized they had no oil. You see, because the wise prepared for a delay, the foolish did not prepare. They, they expected the bridegroom to come immediately, but he didn't. The bridegroom delayed his coming. And so they, they were not prepared for a delay. The wise were. So very quick lessons, all right? <clears throat> Now, all of us come to church, and that's great. But listen, we may all look the same. We may all sing the same songs. We may all raise our hands. We may all go through the motions. But, there are, but in the church, there are not only similarities, but differences. There are some of us who look the same on the outside. But the important thing is what's on the inside. So going to church is good. But coming to Christ, that's better. That's better. It's not about going to church, folks. It's about coming to Christ. It's having a real relationship with Christ. So that there's something that happens inside. Not just on the outside. Because the Bible says when you come to Christ, when you come to God, Christ, God comes to stay inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And the Bible often the Holy Spirit often is symbolized as oil in the Bible. So when we do not have oil, <clears throat> we cannot sustain that. Because we can only go for that much on our own. But it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us faithful. The Holy Spirit that keeps that fire burning inside of us. Giving money to church is good. But giving your heart to Jesus, that's better. Being baptized is good, but being born again, that's better. It's not about going through the motions. It's about heart transformation. It's about what happens inside there.
And that's where I want to, this, this morning's sermon is about this. It's about, you know, we can be coming to church, we can be calling ourselves Christians, having Christian names and, and doing all, going through all the motions. And then we find that when push comes to shove, we are really empty inside. There, there, there is no oil on the inside. We are empty. Because there isn't a real relationship with the Lord. The third part is this, the time. The time. The bridegroom was delayed. He was delayed. You know? Um, and the bridesmaids, usually they would go and the bride, bridegroom would come quite quickly. But this one case, the bridegroom's coming was delayed. And so they got tired and so they slept. And there's nothing wrong. The Bible does not condemn them sleeping. It is okay sometimes to take a rest. That's all right. The scripture, this passage does not condemn, did not condemn them for sleeping. All right? So although he was delayed, the second thing is his coming was sudden. All of a sudden at midnight, there was a midnight cry. At midnight, okay, nowadays midnight, everybody's wide awake, all right? You're watching Netflix, you're doing stuff. Um, but those days, people go to bed, I think at 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, they would go to bed because it's already dark and they don't have electric lights and all of that. So they would go to bed very, very early. So midnight would be probably when you're in your deepest sleep. And that's when the cry was heard. He's coming, he's coming. And the Bible tells us, the Lord himself says, that he would come at a time when nobody expects. It would be sudden. It would be like a thief in the night. That's the description of the way Jesus comes. Like a thief in the night. You know, no thief at all would send you an SMS and say, Stephen, Tuesday at 2 a.m., please, I'm coming to your place. Um, please keep your doors locked. But leave your jewelries out and your money and your wallet on the table. And if possible, leave me a couple of cookies with, with a coffee or something out there. Uh, no thief would do that. <coughs> a thief would come very suddenly. When you least expect him to, he would come. So Jesus said that, that his coming would be like that. When you least expect him to, he will be there. He will come. He will return. So his coming was sudden. But you know what? His coming was certain. While it's sudden, it's certain. Although there may be a delay, he will come. So listen, when I was growing up, maybe I think when I was 15 years old, 16 years old, um, we had a spate of movies, Christian movies that came out called The Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder. Some of the older folk would remember. Um, and older folk, I'm looking at, uh, yes, yes, you know who you are. Uh, so you would remember some of these movies. And, um, and we were so excited about the second coming of Jesus that we, that we thought he was going to definitely come anytime. In fact, I was thinking, I don't think I even have time to get married. You know? And then I told the Lord, Lord, please come after I get married. And so, yes, he has been good to me. Um, I'm married to a, to a beautiful bride and I, I have a lovely family and I thank God for that. Okay? So, but anyway, my point is this. My point is that we thought he was going to come anytime. But the Lord has delayed his coming. But the signs all around the world 
signal that his coming is very, very near. One of the signs is that the world would become like a global village. There will be a one world, uh, and there will be a one world order. And we look at what is happening in the world. Never before in history has a pestilence like COVID-19 um, blighted the entire world. We had great big ap uh, epidemics before. We had the Black Plague. We had the Bubonic Plague. We have, we have had all kinds of stuff, but it was always confined to an area, the Spanish Flu, all right? Europe, Bubonic Plague. Um, SARS was the, on, basically on this side of the, of the globe. Uh, it was always like that. Never one that was global. It's happening now. So the world now has become so small. The world now has begun to work together. Everybody is trying to help one another. Um, I believe all this is a setting up for a one world government. That will come. Eventually it will come. So the signs are there. But the Lord has almost like delayed his coming. Um, I remember when I was growing up, there was even one person whom I knew who was so sure that Jesus was going to come that he went out, he took a mattress and slept outside his house and he said, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. I mean, he has gone to be with the Lord today. If not, he would still be there on his mattress wondering what happened. But the bridegroom has delayed his coming. But you know what? He will come because his coming is certain. Fourth part, the truth. And this is where we want to just spend a little bit of time. I want to look at the happy reception. The bridegroom comes. All right? And in, there is immediate entrance into the wedding upon the arrival of the groom. Isn't that wonderful? The, the five wise bridesmaids who had their lamps burning, who had the oil, they were, they were given immediate entrance into the wedding upon the arrival of the groom. Upon the arrival, immediate entrance. You know, some, there are some Christians who believe that when you die, or, or, or you know, when, when the time comes for you to go, you go to this place between heaven and hell, purgatory, and, and there you wait until the time is ready for you to go into heaven. That's not found in the Bible. It is an unbiblical concept. The Bible says your entrance into heaven is immediate. It's immediate. Isn't that wonderful? We don't go to a halfway place waiting to go to heaven. It doesn't happen that way. It is immediate. Second thing is this. Entrance into the banquet will be not just um, immediate, it would be an intimate affair. Because we go with the groom. The scripture tells us when Jesus returns, he will meet us in the air and then he will take us to heaven with him. We don't go there and, 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 and figure our way into heaven. That does not happen. And all these comics you read, that we would go there and St. Peter would meet us in the entrance and ask us who we are and how we are here and what, why, what business we have coming. Uh, that's nonsense. That's not going to happen. Because the Bible says it is the Lord who would meet us in the air. He would take us into heaven with Him. It is an intimate affair. Not just an immediate affair, it's an intimate affair. And I love that because Jesus himself told his disciples, in my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I would come back and take you with me so that where I am, there you will be also. We go with the groom. Hallelujah. 
And so that means this, we don't go as guests. Isn't that amazing? We go as the celebrated bride. In fact, the bride in the scripture is the church. The church is the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. And Jesus will come back for his bride, the church. And so when we go to heaven, we go there as the celebrated bride. Yes, this parable was about the bridesmaids, but we are one step higher than the bridesmaids. I mean, it's not like Kate Middleton uh, and, and, and her husband got married. You know, there was such a fanfare about the wedding, but the real star of the show was Kate's sister, Pippa. But this is not it. The, the bridesmaids are not the stars of the show. It's the bride. We always think it will be only about Jesus that's what we always feel. But in any wedding, people come there, nobody's looking at the bridesmaid. Everybody's looking at the bride and the groom. Because this is what God had intended right from the beginning. You read the book of Romans and you'll see that eventually God will share His glory with us. And you think about that and it just blows your mind really. That the privilege we have as the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we become the celebrated bride, the happy reception. And then we have the horrid rejection. So the five foolish bridesmaids, they thought they had time to get ready. They probably intended to. We will get the oil, I suppose. You know, but this fellow is he's, he's delayed. We still have time. Never mind, later we will get the, 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 the oil. Uh, so they, they had they thought they had time. They, they had intentions of getting it, but they never got around to it. Yeah? They never got around to it. And then they heard the cry. And then they realized it was too late. And then they thought that there would be another opportunity once the bride comes and he goes for the banquet. We can still come. We go and get our oil and we'll come. And they will let us in because we now find, have found the oil. They thought there was another opportunity, but there wasn't because the groom comes out when they said, let us in. We have the oil now. The groom comes out and says, I never knew you. I never knew you. You see, they were so close and yet so far. And church, while it pains me to say this, but I think it needs to be said. I would not be doing, you know, uh, I would not be doing the church any favors if I hold back on this. Many of you think that I can make a commitment later. I will come to church. I enjoy church. I enjoy the people. I enjoy the singing. I enjoy all of this. I love the fellowship. I, I love the programs. I'll get in myself. Uh, you know, I, I will just come for the Sunday. Um, but um, really making a commitment, really getting baptized, really doing these things, showing that I'm committed, um, serving, I'll do it later when I have more time, when, I, when, when, I'm, when I've got my career going, when I've got my family going, like I've got to, I've got to educate my kids, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And you think you have got time, but let me tell you, you never know. When the Lord comes again, and He will come certainly, but He will come suddenly, many would be caught out. And once you're caught out, you realize, I was so close and yet so far. Because the Lord would come, and the Lord would look at us, and He would say, I never knew you. But I went to church. I was part of this thing. I'm even a member. I even got baptized. I even... But you never had a relationship with me. I don't know you. I don't know you. You know, in the scriptures, in the old English, 
when a husband and wife came together and became intimate, the Bible uses the word Adam knew Eve. That word knew. It means that the relationship is intimate. Intimate. When we have no intimacy with God, when God is just something out there, somebody out there, not somebody in here that we know and we talk to and we feel and we engage with, Jesus would come to us and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. We can be so close and yet so far. And so the honest reflection as we look at this, we look at the truth, all right? Good intentions, my church, good intentions aren't enough. It's not enough to have good intentions. You've got to follow through on those good intentions. You see, it is not about how we look. We look like Christians. We behave like Christians. We be, in all accounts, many people would, 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 would accept us as Christians. But it's not about how we look. It is about who we are. Alright? It is not about how we look. It is about who we are. Because the Lord, God, will look at us and He will know immediately we have the oil. That fire is not off us. It's the oil that keeps us burning. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the seal that tells us we belong. That tells us that God knows us, that Jesus knows us. That we are in an intimate relationship with Him. See, the foolish virgins came to the wise ones, the foolish bridesmaids, and said, give us some of your oil. And the, and the wise virgins said, we cannot, because this oil is enough for us. It cannot be shared. And I want you to know that oil cannot be transferred. Your spiritual encounters cannot be transferred from one person to another. Just because my father and my mother are Christians does not mean that can be transferred to me. I am not born a Christian. I cannot be born a Christian. I cannot talk about the experiences of somebody else. I cannot talk about the testimony of somebody else and say that, oh, that person experienced that. I love the Lord so much. It has to be your own experience. It has to be your own encounter. Oil cannot be transferred. So if you have not had a personal encounter with Jesus, let me tell you, you need an encounter. I'm not saying that it's a good idea for you to have an encounter. I'm telling you, you need an encounter. If you don't have an encounter, if you've never had a real encounter with Jesus, let me tell you, you are so close and yet so far. That is what it means. I cannot sustain on a second-hand faith. I need my own encounters, my own experiences, my own stories, my own testimonies. Then it's real. And what looks like open doors today will be shut later. The Bible says the door was shut. When the, wise, when the groom brought the wise bridesmaid into the banquet, the doors were shut and locked. And then it couldn't be opened anymore. When the foolish bridesmaid came and said, please open the door, we have the oil now. The groom said, I never knew you. The doors can't be opened. And we look at scriptures and that's what happened all the time. When Adam and Eve sinned and God put them out of the garden, he shut the way back into the garden. They couldn't come back. When God called Noah 
and family into the ark, the Bible says God shut the ark. And the ark, could, the ark doors couldn't be opened. When the rains came, there were definitely people who went up to the ark and started pounding on those doors. Open up, open up, it's raining. The waters are coming up. We're going to die. But the doors could not be opened. Because once God shuts the doors, it remains shut. And that is why it would be the greatest tragedy if you're so near and yet so far. And this is the point, okay? If you forget everything else I said today, remember this one point. It is not about waiting. It is really about being ready. It is not about waiting. It's really about being ready. That's the main point of this sermon. Too many of us feel that we are saved now. We just have to wait until we go to heaven. Listen, the Bible never teaches us to do that. The Bible says, occupy till I come. We've got to be ready. We've got to do what is necessary to be ready for the coming of Jesus. It's not about waiting. If you, if you think that all you need to do, that now that you're a Christian, is just to sit and wait, you're sadly mistaken. Because if you really have the oil, then, you're, then you will be burning. You will be on fire for God. And once you're on fire for God, you can't just sit around waiting. You would be up and about. Your light would shine in places that are dark. Your light would cause darkness to dispel. Your light would lead and guide others. Your light would bring comfort to people. Your light would do stuff that the darkness has done to others. Your, your light would chase away those things and bring clarity, bring vision. Bring hope. It's like a lighthouse that shines on treacherous rocks and the ships looking at the light would know what to avoid and where to go so that they find safe harbor. And that's what we ought to be doing. It's not about sitting around waiting. It's about getting ready. Romans 13, 11 to 14 says this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day -day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off. Oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work He began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything inside. Get out of bed. Don't sit around waiting. Get out of bed. Get dressed. Don't loiter and linger. Waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Don't sit around waiting. Get up. Be ready. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this in verse 15. Be careful how you live. Live as men who are wise and not foolish. Make the best use of your time. These are sinful days. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you. He wants you to get ready. He wants you to tell people that He's coming. His coming is certain. It will be sudden but certain. But He is coming. The groom is coming for His bride. 
get your oils. Trim, trim your wicks. Set it alight so that you burn. You will be ablaze for God. So we're going to end now. And we're going to end with this, okay? Not just take-homes. I'm going to today give you a to-do list. Can we have a to-do list? All right? Uh, that's the last one, all right? To-do list. Things to do. So we're going to make it very practical. There are five things that I would want you to do. All right? Number one, I want you to assess your dreams and ambitions. Go back while you're at home. Put out a piece of paper. List down what are my ambitions, what are my dreams. Look at it, assess them, and tell yourself, this, this will work for me for eternity. It will be an investment in my eternity. This is only for my here. So I, 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 I'm not going to spend too much time here. I'm going to focus on this. Start assessing your dreams and ambitions in the light of the coming of Jesus. If your ambitions and dreams is only to buy a four-story house and drive a BM, a, a Merc S-series, let me tell you this, you can't take either one of them to heaven when Jesus comes. So what are you going to do? You know, I've said this illustration before. Many of us are living like this is all there is in this world. It isn't. This is temporal. In fact, this is going down. It's almost as if you're running around the, on the deck of the Titanic, rearranging all the deck chairs, although the Titanic is going to end up at the bottom of the ocean. You're just wasting a lot of your energy and your time. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just saying that focus, be, prioritize the things that will last. Cultivate intimacy with God. Why don't you do that? If your quiet time isn't regular, make sure that it's regular now. Cultivate that intimacy with God because this is about a relationship. It's not about what, it's not about what you wear, how you look, it's about who you are. All right. Remember, I told you, husband and wife, their relationship, and this person knew that person. Isaac knew Rebecca. That's how the, the that's how intimate the relationships are. And so that's the kind of relationship we should be cultivating with Jesus. Every morning when you open your eyes, good morning, Lord. Thank you for already working this day out for me. Lead me, guide me. Thank you that you're beside me. Thank you you've never left my side. I want to be aware of your presence everywhere I go. I want to be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to carry him with me when I walk into my office. I want, him, I want to carry him with me when I walk into the shop or the, or, or, or you know, when I, when, I, when I talk with somebody over the phone and that person starts to annoy me, maybe I'm making an order over the phone and that person starts to annoy me, I want to carry your presence so that I would react in a way that would make you pleased with me. Cultivate that intimacy with God. Number three, find a mentor in a support group. Listen, you cannot be doing this on your own. The wise bridesmaid had each other, and I'm sure as they slept, they all tell, take care of your oil, don't spill your oil, put your, put, put, put your lamp upright, if not the oil will spill. And they would, be, they would be encouraging one another. There's that support group. And you must have a mentor so that it keeps you, and you'll be able to tell that person, I, 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 I have a problem this week, I need you to pray for me. Listen, you don't need to wait for a Wednesday prayer meeting to pray. Have a little group that you could meet any time of the week and pray for each other. 
pray for the church, pray for the world, pray for our city, pray for this thing. You don't need to wait for Wednesdays. It's not about having a meeting, it's about having a culture of prayer. <coughs> so find a mentor and a support group. Number four, volunteer to serve on a ministry. Be, the Bible says, occupy till I come. The Bible never says, be busy, but occupy, do the right things. Know what God wants you to do and do it. Don't just sit around waiting. Those would be the people who at the end of the day would be so, ne so near and yet so far. Find a ministry and volunteer. I want to be on this ministry. Can you fit me in? <coughs> Serve on a ministry. Number five. Be an active witness for Jesus. And that is critical. Your light would be useless if it's put under a tudong saji, you put under a cover. Your light would be useless. <coughs> your light only shines in a place where it's dark. That's when your light shines brightest. And we are asked to be witnesses of Jesus. While waiting for the groom to come, we want to raise up more people who would become part of this entourage that the groom would accompany back to heaven. <clears throat> and the way for that to happen is for us to be an active witness for Jesus. Could we all just bow our heads right now? Just bow our heads. Now those of you who have been listening to this sermon, maybe you've, you, you, you realize that... Uh, Oh, wow, I could be one of those who are so near and yet so far. I don't want to lose out. I've never really had, come to think of it, I've never really had a real encounter with Jesus. I cannot consider myself in an intimate relationship with Lord, with the Lord. I don't have that. What do I do? I want you to know that we are privileged people. The wise bridesmaid who would have the privilege of the groom accompanying us, taking us. And we are one day going to be the celebrated bride. How wonderful that is. In the meantime, in the meantime, let's continue serving. Let's continue doing whatever it takes to prepare ourselves and be ready for His coming so that when He comes, we will be glad and joyful to meet Him. Not say, oh, 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 it's late. Let me quickly go and get this done. Or let me quickly go and get done. No, no. That's, there'll be a time when it's too late. Don't wait till then. Do it now.